good morning and uh, welcome to the Monday Main Point. It is Monday, December the 6th, 2021, and uh, we are here live at the McCarthy residence. Uh, we have uh, the, all four pastors are here. Uh, I'm Jonathan Hendrickson, the associate pastor. I've got Jeremiah Custer, Blake Flincham, and our senior pastor, Jeff McCarthy, in the house with us today. So, uh, yeah, it's great to be here with Jeff. Uh, as we mentioned last week, uh, uh, Jeff has suffered an injury to uh, to his leg. Uh, he's not able to be at the offices with us, so we just brought the podcast here. So um, that way we, the four of us could still have our, our regular discussion on Mondays about the Sunday Sermon, which is what we do here on Monday Main Point. All right, so um, we've started into the Christmas season, as we said last week, and Jeremiah, you kind of kicked us off with a, a great message about the wise men, and... Um, the, the 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 three of us uh, because Jeff's not able to be there right now so the three of us kind of got together and started talking about really something that we built off of last week's podcast so last week's podcast we we ended talking about how there is just in general an apathy about American Christianity right now it's it's not that it's not that people don't not necessarily that Christians aren't doing things I think that they're Lots of Christians out there doing things. Lots of Christians out there doing the things that they should be doing. It's, Yeah, church attendance is down. Baptisms are down and such. We know that. But I'm not trying to say that, that people aren't going to church. That, no, that everybody stopped going to church or everybody stopped reading their Bible. Well, what I, what I, what I want to say is, I think, what we were saying last week anyway, is that it's not that people have stopped doing things. It's that they've lost sort of the the motivation for why to do these things like it's almost like it's an obligatory thing and so there's this sort of apathy that we have to fight through and we even said as pastors we have to fight through it and so it's not i'm not pointing i don't even want to make it sound like we're pointing fingers here i think even pastors have to fight through this being more than just something we do that it has to be something that like we, we it's easy for us to 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 lose the the awe um, lose the wonder of it. And we said Christmas is a great time to sort of try to recapture that. Because Christmas is just sort of a magical time. Um, and, you know, it's sort of a wonderful time. It's a time of wonder. And, you know, I mentioned that all in the introduction and stuff of, 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 of the message yesterday. So along those lines, we, 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 we picked out Isaiah 9-6 and as a text to explore over the next five weeks sort of as a launching point for recapturing the wonder of not just Christmas, but Christianity. And so um, I introduced that yesterday with a sermon titled, um, A Child, a Son, a King. And it's part of this larger sermon series we're doing called Cradle Cross Crown. Um, and so over the next four weeks after this, we're gonna be looking at those four titles that are at the end of that verse. So you, you have, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And we'll talk about those three things today. And then, and, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so we're going to look at each one of those four titles over the next, you know, five, four weeks. Um, so, but for today, let's talk a little bit about just the, sort of the intro to all this, which is, these first three lines, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Um, I didn't get into a lot of this, guys, but the, the context of this is interesting. 
And I, I, dealt, I, I dealt with this a little bit at, at the beginning of the message, but I didn't want to get too, because you can get into the weeds on this a bit, mm-hmm. with Emmanuel, right? So Emmanuel, um, the, if you go backwards, back to um, the Isaiah, uh, yeah, Isaiah 7, was it, 14? I lost my notes here. I had them pulled up. Yeah, 14. Yeah, 14. Yeah, right. So if you look back at Isaiah seven fourteen, you have you have where um, where God is talking about the, uh, therefore the Lord Himself well, Isaiah says the Lord Himself will give you a sign, see the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. And when I was when I was doing the research on this, um, I, I ran across like a hermeneutics site that. Sort of was like a Reddit forum, uh, and uh, and these guys were talking about who is this prophecy really about, and so there's some who want to say that it's about Hezekiah, Ahaz's son, because prophecy is given to Ahaz, and so they're saying no, this is prophecy is about Hezekiah, Ahaz's son, and some say no, this is about Isaiah's children. These are children that Isaiah is going to have. Um, and I kind of dealt with that a little bit, but what do you guys think about that at all? I mean, is there is there a possibility that it's a both and here? I, I, I sort of, I made it clear that I think because Matthew says it's about this, he says Emmanuel is, is about Jesus. So I'm going to go with, we're going to go with what the Bible says about itself. But could it also be about one of these others? Uh, is it a, because so, sometimes prophecies can be both and, right Jeff? Yeah, so that's what they, uh, when you look at prophecies, most of the time there was a message for the people at that time and so you could interpret it and think okay this happened here so perhaps you know maybe if hezekiah was one you know because hezekiah was a uh, in comparison to the rest of the kings was a godly king Mm. um but he wouldn't be the ultimate fulfillment so it was looking it was looking future but it's also looking beyond future and that's why it became a messianic um uh, a messianic passage because nobody has fulfilled that up to that point. Right. And even if Jesus, a lot of people will probably even say, and we'll probably talk about that in just a few moments, well, he's not set up his kingdom on earth. He's not ruling and reigning. Mm. You know, so he the government isn't upon his shoulders and all this other stuff. So, so it's still ultimately going to be fulfilled in him. Right. Uh, and as Christians, we enter into that spiritual kingdom. So I think... Uh, when you're looking looking at the messianic passages, you always have to look at um, how it applies then, how it applies during Christ's time, and then how it applies to us, and how it applies to the future kingdom as well. Yeah, and I like uh, you know, I appreciate you know, I appreciate the mindset why these people would say it would apply to uh, you know, Isaiah and Ahaz in their time because you know we definitely don't want to. Um, we don't want to like read Jesus into something that it's not, but obviously sure. this is one of those texts where, you know, we're pretty confident it is. And you know, some of those can have dual, like a dual fulfillment. You know, I think of Isaiah forty, um, Isaiah chapter forty, verse three. It said, "A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God." Like in that time, you know, it would have been talking about like in the exile, like make straight the path for the people to come home. Sure. But John, it also applies to John the Baptist because he's going to prepare a path for the Lord. So we see, you know, that can happen and that's just an example. But with Emmanuel being God with us, I think it's hard to... 
I think it's hard to apply God with us with somebody like Hezekiah or somebody like Ahaz or somebody, especially with Ahaz, you know, right. because that Ahaz and God with that doesn't mesh. <laughs> right. That doesn't mesh very well. So, so one of the problems that you run into, and I didn't bring it up because it, it, it gets us in the weeds a bit, but if you jump over, so we're looking at that prophecy, it reads in Isaiah seven fourteen. Well, then if you go like over to Isaiah 8, Jeremiah, mm-hmm. um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a further prophecy where he's talking about how um, Samaria will be carried off to the king of Assyria. And so then he goes on and he talks about how what this is going to happen. And, and just jumping down here, the king of Assyria, all of his glory, it'll overflow its channels. Uh, I'll, talking about the waters of Shiloh, uh, overflowing its channels, spilling over all its banks. It'll pour into Judah, flood over it, sweep through, reaching up to the neck. And its flooded banks will fill your entire land, Emmanuel. So it's like, okay, so is that I, I, that doesn't even feel like he's talking about a Messiah there at all. Yeah. And so, but still, Emmanuel <coughs> still means God with us, right? So that's why that's why I think that there, there there might be some confusion as to whether or not this is about strictly about the Messiah. Yeah, I was looking for it, but doesn't the um, isn't it twins that are born to? Hezekiah and they name both they name both of them and one of them's name is Emmanuel. It might be I can't remember. I'm pretty sure I was looking for it. I I need to Google it. But uh, yeah, I mean it's it's a popular interpretation. It's a popular problem. I guess it's not really a problem, especially when you when you get further into chapter nine. But uh, for me, I think it's clear that there's there's the both and going on. There's the He's talking about their time and and this literal son that wasn't born of a virgin, and so when the when the virgin comes in, although the virgin thing is confusing too, because that word can just mean a uh, uh, girl who is not yet married. Yeah, yeah. Or or uh, there, there's some <clears throat> virgin doesn't mean exactly what we think it means. Uh, so. It may apply to Mary. Obviously, it applies to Mary because Matthew 1 tells us it applies Matthew to Matthew 1 Mary. says it does. He right. makes it explicitly. Right. So we know this is talking about Jesus, but I think it's also giving them context for their day. Right. Um, yeah. So I think, I think you know, going all the way back to what you were saying, Jeff, I think that a lot of these prophecies were often for that time, but also for a future time. And and, and you think about it, it's even, it's a case with, with us, with the prophecies that are fulfilled in Jesus there's a there's a time coming when the king will come again, right? I mean, so like those, it's kind of like we talked about last week, guys, when when we talked about how the story is retold over and over and over again. Did you find it, Jeff? Yeah, Manasseh was his son. Hezekiah's son was Manasseh. Does he have another son too? No, that's not I don't think it's Hezekiah's son. That's is it the, Isaiah's? It's son. It, dude, there's two sons. Sorry. Oh, that's all right. I'll look it up real quick. We'll, we'll we'll find it, but you can look at it. Let, let's, the only time my manual was. Is uses the verse we're looking at today and that verse in chapter eight. And that yeah. verse in chapter eight, mm-hmm. yeah. So I guess maybe that's and also Emmanuel, like we when we hear God with us, it, it mean like we take it literal. Sure. But you could you could name your son Emmanuel because we believe God is always with us. Right. right. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's plenty of people named Emmanuel. It could Emmanuel. be kind of figurative in that yeah. way, not specific. And even, you know, some Hispanics named their child Jesus. Jesus yeah. doesn't mean they're Jesus. They just use his name. Right, right. So I, I think I think that that sort of answers the question. But the, ultimately, if you're asking, okay, was this, was this sign that he was talking about? And that's the other thing that I pointed out, too. 
he's saying, ask the Lord for a sign. Well, anytime you see the word sign, it doesn't mean just an omen. Normally it means some miraculous event that carries with it a message. The birth of Hezekiah's son or the birth of Isaiah's son wouldn't have been that kind of a miracle. You know what I'm saying? So it doesn't feel like that would be to qualify as a sign from God. If it's going to be a sign from God, it, it, it needs to have some sort of miraculous thing, some sort of uh, a miraculous event with a message. And so I think that's another reason why we can look at this and go, well, it just seems like it's it's saying more than just what, uh, uh, you know, what you, what you would get with Hezekiah or, or with uh, Isaiah's sons. Also, is the fact that those children have already been born by the time this prophecy was made, and they don't fulfill the rest of this at all. Nowhere close to fulfilling the rest of it. So, um, yeah, I, I can understand why people would would maybe get confused on that. And yeah, and I didn't want to, like I said, I didn't want to get too far in the weeds on that on a Sunday morning. But it's a good topic for us to talk about. Yeah, for sure. And you know, it's it's good to always be loyal to the context, but. You know, this it's pretty clear that it's talking about Jesus. You know, right. It's pretty clear. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this first part for, for a child to be born, for, uh, you know, a child to be born uh, to us. Um, because, primarily because, uh, for a child to be born for us, pr- primarily because this gets really close to um, where I think, Jeremiah, you're going to go with Mighty God when we talk about that. But, that being said, you can't just brush over this for a child to be born for us and just think, oh, this is just a baby. You have to realize the, the, just the, like I said yesterday, it's, it's mind blowing to me when I really sit and think about it, that the God of the universe, the one we call the one and only God, the one who spoke every atom into existence who is all-sufficient, doesn't even need anything else, and he's not dependent on anybody, makes himself dependent by being born as a baby. Like, you know, and and I was telling my life group about this. Think about it. If they don't feed him, if they don't clothe him, then he dies. I mean, like, he doesn't even, like, you know what I'm saying? It's like he can't. Yeah, he's very vulnerable. He's not going to feed himself. The God of the they universe. They say in Bethlehem he dies. Yeah. I don't think they could have done anything against Herod. No. So the, Not unless the angels intervened or something. Yeah. 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 Which, so the, the, the yeah. God of the universe is depending on someone else to feed him. That's, ah, that's nuts. That's, I mean, and I don't think we think about that enough. Like, you know what I'm saying? I, I mean, yeah. I know we sing that song, Mary, Did You Know? Yeah. But th- this is... I don't know. It's just—it's amazing when you think about and, it. And I think it's cool. In our um, children's church lesson, we were talking about how uh, Jesus what died on the cross and what some of that kind of entailed. And, mm-hmm. and I actually had a kid ask me, he's like, wait, if you're saying that Jesus was God, like, why did he feel pain if he was God? <laughs> Which was actually, I love the question because, you know, because I, I got to talk like, because he was human. He's yeah. like, he was no more human than what you and I you know? Right, and and I think that gets to something else that I mentioned that um, you talk often, Jeff, about the disciples not being super super disciples. Jesus was not a superman. Like if you got this idea in your head that Jesus is somehow like Clark Kent, Superman has superpowers and stuff because he's able to do these miracles, 
Then I think you've got a wrong picture of Jesus, Jeremiah. Yeah, thank I mean, I grew up believing that way. I mean, you hear the miracles and you just assume that it was it was his godness that that enabled him to walk on water and mm-hmm. to calm the storm and those types of things. But then when you 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 look and you get a closer look and you you see the other stories of the disciples later, the the apostles later able to do miraculous things, you're like, well, how is that? They don't have the godness. They don't. The apostles weren't God, right? right? We wouldn't call them God for sure. And so you you see that it's he's relying on God to do those miracles for him, mm. and you see his reliance all throughout. And, and and I would say that that reliance, that relationship that he has with God, is the same that we can have the mm-hmm. reliance. So like, I'm not saying if you have enough faith, you can walk on water. But the the way that Jesus walks on water is his reliance on the Father. Yeah. But I don't. You don't see any of that until he's like thirty. Mm-hmm. His first miracle, they they guess that he's around thirty at the the wedding in Cana. Right. And so for like he's a little boy in the temple. Mm-hmm. And he's just he's just a little boy in the temple that can read and wants to study the scriptures and right and and sometimes you think well he had advanced knowledge. But I don't, th- I don't think he had extra knowledge that we don't have access to. I think he was just disciplined and he had that relationship with the Father from the beginning that we don't have, those types of things. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that that, that that notion that Jesus is superhuman, I mean, don't, don't miss, he is God, right? Yeah. But um, I think he, he, in taking on humanity, he necessarily limits himself, his godness, right? And so um, when, when we think about him as superhuman, we fall into the same trap, Jeff, as when we think about the disciples as being somehow another super special, right? Right. And um, in fact, I, I finished my blog article and you know, the, our memory verses this, this month goes along with what you are doing mm-hmm. about the incarnation. That's what I was going to be emphasizing if I preached this past Sunday about uh, that's the most important thing about it. About Christmas is right. that we're talking about God becoming a child, mm-hmm. and that um, and I used the whole introduction about it was a week late because I fell and experienced right. pain, and that it it kind of changed everything. If I'd have wrote the thing a week before, it'd have been a different different writing. But because I experienced this pain, I'm thinking, well, you know, He entered into the picture to experience pain for us and suffering us because. Isaiah, as you mentioned, Isaiah 53, he's going to become this suffering servant. Right, right. So in our mind, if we think he's superhuman, we're thinking Superman can withstand a bullet. Right. But if Jesus was going to die by a firing squad, the bullet would have killed him. Yeah. There would have been no stopping the bullet. No. And so so by him dying on the cross um, shows that, that he took on every aspect of humanity except for he never sinned. Yeah. He was tempted, but he never sinned. Yeah. And because he did that, he experienced that for us so that we so he so now we know we can relate to him and he relates to us in our suffering and getting us through life too. Yeah. Yeah. And then ultimately he paid the the pain for uh, all of us, which once we get glorified, you know, we'll have this new body that no more pain, no more suffering, and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you get fatigued after working a long day at, at a job or something, Jesus did too. I mean, oh, yeah. he he got tired. His 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 muscles ached. You know, he 
when they attempt to stone him. You know, if a rock hit him, it would hurt him. It's not like, you know... And so I think just sometimes we... Because we see him as God, and we should see him as God, we forget that he is absolutely 100% human. You know, that um, that he he knows what pain is and like like you said with the, with the, the, the children uh, trying to understand that but I, I do I think that that's you know I, I've, I've talked to I've talked to people who've been Christians a long time and they they struggle with that concept no no, no. Jesus is able to do the things that he's able to do because he's God no 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 you don't think he, it's not the reason why he's able to do the thing like his wisdom all those things is not just because he's God it's because he has a relationship with God, the same one that you have. And he's he's living with the Holy Spirit living in him because it's his spirit. Mm-hmm. So he's like the full, if, if you could live a complete full life of being embodied by the Holy Spirit without sin and all that other stuff, then, you know, which is ultimately what we're going to have in our glorified body, then we would be kind of like that. I, um, so he, he's God, but yet he chose to become human to, to experience what we have had experienced in order to save us and help us and rescue us. I used to, I think I wrote a paper or something a long time ago, and it was, a, I, I, I would be ashamed of what I said in it probably now, but, but the premise of it, I think, is, is still true. That with enough faith, I could walk on water. Mm. And, and, and the, the truth being is that I, it'll never happen because I can't do it self, I can never remove myself from the picture. Jesus did it selflessly. He never would have done it for his own glory. He did everything only for the glory of the Father. Because of my sin, because of my sort of sinful leanings, I don't think I can never do that. But if I could, I think I could walk on water. Does that make sense? It's like, it's not that, it's not that, uh, I, I guess the, the point I was trying to make is that, that, um, Again, that what made Jesus like special is not his is not his ability to be a you know magical God who can do magic things, but it it, it was his full reliance on God and that being the only motivation for what he was doing. Like if I go and walk on water, as hard as I, I might want to say I'm just doing this for the glory of God. At some point, oh, you'll be bragging about. No, it. at some point, I'm bragging about it, right? Yeah. At some yeah. point, I'm like, Jeremiah, look, I'm walking on water, yeah. right? It's, <laughs> it's on your resume for sure. It's yeah. it's on my resume. Yeah. Once walked on water. Yeah. We See want, Jeremiah. We want, like we want him to be our pastor, yeah. right? <laughs> so so yeah, but but yeah, I, I think that that's something we sometimes we, we miss. Going into this this the second point here, which is talking about him being a son uh, a son given to us which that's that's amazing too um i mentioned this uh, uh when i was talking about i didn't go again i didn't go into a lot of detail on this but you know if you study greek mythology or you study any of the the sort of folklore of other cultures and stuff it's often the case that you'll read um stories of their deity visiting them right coming in a human form to visit. Often to do unsavory things with, <laughs> with, with you know, getting involved in affairs with women and, um, or maybe to trick people or to do, do different things, but, or they've got some kind of agenda that they're trying to accomplish. So the idea of the, a deity coming and visiting or even God being a human, that's not 
entirely original to to you know to our to, to Christianity. What is, however, is the occasion on which this great visitation happens and the means by which it happens. So, like, so he it's not just that he came and visited and then went away. But you could ask, okay, well, well you know, what what brought him to visit us? What brought him to, to visit us? And for starters, it's not a visitation. It's, it's a gift. He's giving himself to us. And why does he come? Well, he comes because we're so messed up. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, to piggyback off that, you know, I was with Galatians 4 in our Sunday night ministry last night, and it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, mm. so that they might receive adoption as sons. Yeah. Yeah, and so, so what brings him here? Um, it's not some agenda. It's not because he wants to visit and see how things are going on planet Earth. It's because he's giving himself to us because we are such messed up creatures. Yeah. That's like... Yeah, he was well aware so of what amazing. was going on. You know? that, that's so amazing, man. Yeah. I can't... Yeah, and um, it gets back to the mission of why he came, you know. And I thought you brought it up that uh, Mary and Joseph both were told and instructed in the name of Jesus. Yeah. For he will save his people from their sins. So so this whole giving, he's given himself... He, this, this gift is given freely is right there 600 years before he even is born, but it's in the mind of God, you know, in his pre-existence. Yeah, and that, you know, that was something else that as, as, as I'm thinking through this, on um, putting the message together, and I shared it yesterday, is God, God knows this before he speaks the words of creation, right? Like he knows what it's going to cost. He knows what's going to happen. He knows if I create free creatures, they will, they will turn away from me. And I'm going to have to fix things myself. And so, you know, I know that's hard for us to get, right? But the truth is, is that he knew this before the foundation of the world was laid. And yet he, one, he chooses to create anyway. Two, he puts his plan into place knowing what it's going to mean. And does it anyway, unhesitatingly. With joy, he does it. Mm-hmm. I don't get that, man. I just don't. That's... Well, our minds aren't like that, you know? Because, like, if we know somebody's going to, like... Uh... Oh, we would have never created. No, right. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, like, if <laughs> you tell me... Yeah. Like, why would yeah. I create... Well, let me think about it. Okay, the two of us have kids, right? Yeah. yeah. Would you if, if, if you... if you and your wife knew... I mean, this is a question that, look, this is a question that comes up now with, with, with like, you know, um, pro-life and pro-choice stuff. Um, some people say, um, if you know that the baby that you're going to bring into the world is going to be, you know, struck with Down syndrome, because they'll test for that now. Yeah. They'll, they'll spine a bit for that. Spine a bit, yeah. Those kinds of things. Your baby's going to be born and they're going to live a short, suffer, a short life that's going to be, and it's going to bring lots of suffering to you. Lots of suffering to your family. Um, are you sure you want to go ahead and go go through with this? And a lot of people say no, no, I don't want to, no. because and 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 to be to be fair, it you know if you're just looking at it from a purely human perspective, you can understand their logic behind that. If I know it's going to cause me pain, and 
and cause this child pain as well, should I, should I go through with it? Should I do it? I mean, if you knew, for instance, that the child you were going to bring into the world was also going to, I don't know, assassinate the president, right? Or, or do some, or, or cause mass genocide. Like if you knew you're Hitler's parents and you know you're going to give birth to Hitler, do you go ahead and go through with it? Or do you stop it and say, no, we're not bringing Hitler into the world? I think you're right. I think if we're creators, we're saying no. Yeah. We're saying no, I'm not doing that. Especially if it means that in order to fix the problem, I'm going to have to humiliate myself to the point of dependency and endure horrendous amounts of suffering and pain just to fix the problem. Yeah. No, I'm not saying I would abort, I would abort my kid. No, I know that. Uh, no. It's different to say that once it's already put in motion, right? Then I would end that motion. Yeah. Or to say that I know before it's already put in motion. That's a good point. You see what I'm saying? Right. Maybe maybe you would. I, I don't, it, just what, want to clarify. What if you, what, what if you guys? Yeah, right. You got a choice whether you're going to conceive or not, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like like. If I, get, I mean, a lot of people are doing that even today. They're not having children. They're choosing. I'm not going to have children. Yeah. And uh, there's a big. I read a big article the other day about it. And they're just like the leg of this world, and they think, you know, economically, and you know, they're trying to save the planet. Whatever reasons they come up with, and a lot of them saying, you know, there's plenty of babies out there we can adopt, so we're not, we're just, we're going to choose not to have children. Yeah, and that's a big thing right now uh, that people are doing that. Yeah, uh, but Cat- the- Catholics actually call that sin. Right? Yeah, Catholics come- say like contraceptives and. Well, yeah, because of creation says be fruitful and multiply. Yeah, right. Our existence is to carry on the human race in order for people to come into God's kingdom. Yeah, yeah that's right. So there's a, I think, I think these words keep putting us back to the mission. So that then we know now that that we're to we're to be incarnate missionaries and ministers in people's lives. We know now that. Like Jesus gave himself for us. Now we should be able to give in order to serve other people and all. So mm. just, it's mind-boggling, but then it gives us the the motivation yes. to live a Christian life the way it's supposed to be lived. Yeah. As, then, as, as to say, if Jesus did this for me, and I need to do this. So, right. And that gets back to the, the whole point that we were saying before. It, it, it helps break through that cloud of apathy. Like, I, I, yes. Okay, so I, I know that I should do these good things. Right. Here's why I should do them. Because of this incredible gift. I mean, yeah. like, this, the fact that he did this is, is amazing. Yeah. And it should inspire awe in you. I mean, it really should. But this gets to, um, and I'll share with you guys because you're, you're, you're my fellow preachers. You, you know what this is like. Um, the illustration that I used in, in at, at this point when I was talking about the gift and I mentioned my wedding band, um, that sort of happened on the fly. It wasn't in my notes or anything, um, but I was thinking about, I had just written in my notes um, that sometimes, sometimes we get a gift and it loses its luster, right? And I wonder if, if this great gift that, that God's given us, if it, at some point, some level for Christians hasn't lost its luster. And as I said that, and I, I was thinking about it, I happened to glance down and look at my wedding band, and it just occurred to me just in the moment, man, it's a lot like my wedding band. Because at one point, um, 
we spent a lot of time and a lot of money picking these things out. And and I remember the first time I, when you first get married, Blake, you won't know this. You're the only one out of this who won't be able to understand this. Thanks for the reminder. Yeah, no, I'm just it's kidding. Okay. It's okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's okay. You'll remember this conversation yeah, later. That's right. But when the, the if you you never wear a ring on that finger, yeah. And so when you when you first put put your band on, you constantly you're drawn to it. Like you're, you're yeah. you you'll 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 fiddle with it and stuff because it's not you're just not used to it being there. And so you know, and I would I would I would work it on and off my finger and stuff. I just I it was constantly looking at it and playing with it, and it's shiny too because it's you know it's brand new. Right. And so it, it takes some getting used to, but after a while, it just becomes a part of your hand. It just becomes a part of who you are, and uh, so much so that you don't even think about it. Like I have to. The reason I maybe one of the reasons why I, I even brought it up is where I'm going to the gym now. Um, I ended up getting a bad blood blister right below my wedding band because I forgot to take it off when when I was. You, you guys have been lifting yeah. longer than I have. Right. I forgot to take it off and I got a bad blood blister. And so um, now I have to remember to take it off. And so now I'm having to remember, oh yeah, I've got a wedding ring on. I got to take that thing off um, so that it doesn't happen again. But I think, I think it's a good illustration um, and, and give credit to the spirit for that because it's not a Jonathan thing. It's just, You've been there before. You're in the moment of preaching, and all of a sudden, you just a light bulb goes. I don't know where that came. I don't from. know where that came I from. Hope it sounded good, but it came I, out. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I, I don't know where that came from. And that illustration made so much sense to me that it can't. It, it, it's. I'm not. I'm not giving myself credit for it because that's a God thing. Right. Um, it just happens sometimes. I mean, oh, look. Sometimes we. Sometimes that moment happens in, in sermon prep, and sometimes it just happens in the moment of preaching, and, and that's what happened yesterday. But I do think. I mean. You guys, um, Jeremiah, Jeff, you know what I'm talking about with your bands. Um, I think it's a good illustration, especially because it's a symbol of commitment, right? Um, uh, and, and it's easy for us to uh, lose sight of what that gift originally meant to us. Well, and it's appropriate too because uh, you know Paul compares our relationship to Christ as he's the groom, we're mm-hmm. the bride, and even mm-hmm. though we're men. We can we can understand that and relate to that uh, that now we're in this close personal intimate relationship and so often in marriage in long term commitment with different people friends stuff like that you know you you have a tendency to just go through the motions and um, some of the newness wears off or you you know you have some conflict things like that. And, but this, but Christianity again is a long haul thing where you endure, and so it's it's it was a good illustration to bring us back to the point that you know he was given to us and born to us in order for us to have a relationship with him too, mm-hmm. and that uh, so often we do, especially as Christians, we hear the gospel so much we take it for granted, we go about Christmas every year so much, Easter you throw them all in there, and to us it's just like. It's, we just need to hear it new and afresh again. And I think that's what the point of y'all's sermon series is, is to kind of get reintroduced to the whole uh, theme of why Jesus came to begin with. It, it really is. I and mean, I think that's what, we're, that's what we're getting at. And I, even as a preacher uh, and a pastor, I, I have to admit that 
because Christmas and Easter are our busiest seasons, sometimes uh, it's even harder from a pastoral standpoint to enjoy the wonder and the, the, mm. the meaning behind those seasons because we're so busy planning them and executing them for other people. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying, well, woe is us or anything. I'm just saying I think if we struggle with that, and I think we do, then you got to think the average yeah, average Christian does too. Yeah, I think it's a struggle that almost, in a way, might come with the territory a little yeah. bit. Um, because, uh, you know, yeah, you are right. Because, you know, we're always trying to make sure that, like, the whole uh, just everybody's having a good Christmas spiritually. And, you know, it's a you pour so much into others. And, you know, it's easy to forget about pouring into yourself a little bit, you know. Well, it is. And, 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 and like I said, it, it, it becomes more of... Okay, well, this is something that we got to do, Jeremiah. Than it is something that we're we're we're, we're getting to, to enjoy. I, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think that probably comes worse the more the more years you do it because you mm. realize I'm just going to do this again in 11 months. I got to get all this gusto. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. For me, I'm not there. Uh, maybe it's just because I love Christmas so much. But uh, I Christmas is the the best motivating time for me to like to grind and to do the busy mm-hmm. stuff because I see like uh, I don't know I see the the benefit of it for yeah. others and for myself and for yeah. my family and so uh, but I, I could see like doing it year after year and especially I just think there's two types of people really when it comes to Christmas there really is the Grinch and there really is that <laughs> buddy the elf why like, did you point at me when you said that <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, no, I get it. They're both in uh, in my house, uh, so I gotta <laughs> gotta balance, right? But uh, I, if if and, and pastors are allowed to be that, right? They don't yeah. have to. They don't have to be fake. If 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 Christmas does the, the magic of the season or whatever you want to call it doesn't doesn't motivate them. Uh, then they still have to get into the grind and do the busy stuff. They still have to to, to sure. give up themselves. Sure. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, especially year after year, you doing that, like I could see how it could wear on you, and you would get apathetic. Um, but this is like the for me, this is the best time to not be apathetic, cause, cause like even, like the government's gonna be hard on Easter. The government's gonna be hard on Thanksgiving, like even with the the mandates and everything. Right. But you're gonna get a pass at Christmas. Yeah. You just will. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So like. We can, we can, we can do this together, and we, we're not. I mean, yeah, I don't know. What I'm it's kind of like too, you know. Um, to get back to that wedding analogy, you know, I mean, I did a lot of weddings before I was married. Mm-hmm. Went to a lot of weddings, and I would sit there, and you know, you're experiencing it, but you know, it's just like looking oh, at your watch. What, you know, <laughs> can we get to the reception? That kind of thing. You really what you were paying attention, but. Unless you were invested in it, you really didn't get anything out of it. Then when I got married and I said those vows for the first time, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, you're like, I'm saying these words mm-hmm. and it hits you. Mm-hmm. And now when I go to a wedding or do a wedding, mm-hmm. I'm reliving right. that. And so you kind of get a renewal. And I think what happens to us as uh, Christians, That's then we hear the gospel and everything. We need to hear it in a way that we're thinking. And the way I preach too is like, 
I know I've preached this thousands of times, but there's somebody sitting there right now mm-hmm. that was like me before I said I do. Mm-hmm. It's just like looking at my watch to get this thing mm-hmm. over. There's somebody there that's getting ready to say I do, and they're going to say it for the first time. Yeah. They're going to hear it. And yeah. then there's other people that are thinking about the time they got saved and stuff and and things that, like that that happened you know, during mm-hmm. the invitation time and all. Because that's what you want people to do. They're kind of relive those moments and think about those moments in order to renew themselves to be prepared for the week ahead to do ministry yeah so yeah. Um, I think this is a good a good reminder of people well, um, that not to forget about that there's people out there that yeah maybe they've heard the Christmas story and the how's about it but they don't really understand the why the why the why yeah. of it yeah so let's talk about the last part of this verse which is Isaiah in, in the, well the last part of this part of the verse which is I, really I'm only dealing with 6a yeah. and that's the government will be on his shoulders and um, I, 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 we were having a discussion right before we uh, started the podcast recording um, that phrase the government will be on his shoulders I did some research on it and and in the and I mentioned this yesterday um, in, in this in the sermon uh, some of the some of the ideas that come about one of them I didn't mention though and I almost did is I a common misunderstanding of this person like you you were talking about that yeah yeah and I'll, I'll be honest for the longest time it was up until 20 let me get my date right 2019 I was in uh actually a preaching class, like a hermeneutics class. Mm-hmm. And um, and the professor's actually going through this specific verse, and he's talking about how uh, the government will be on his shoulders and talking about how uh, you know he's going to have the weight of it on his shoulders and how he's going to be leading it. I'm thinking, like, I've never heard this interpretation because I'd always thought uh, when it says the government will be on his shoulders, like the government's like going to be... Uh, um, like persecuting him, like oppressing him, and you know, mm-hmm. I've always thought of like a, like kind of like the passage that uh, Jeremiah preached on with Matthew, Matthew chapter two. We see that King Herod was, uh, you know, oppressing him, trying to get him killed, and then, and to be honest, even the Jewish leaders, even when Jesus is an adult, uh, they're trying to, you know, they're always on his shoulder. They're always trying to look over his shoulder, seeing what he's doing, mm-hmm. and trying to get him killed. I think of John eight; they want to stone him then. Right. And he, there's always like this constant uh, idea that they're like, they're always looking over his shoulder, trying to, you know, trying to kill him, seeing what he's doing. That way, they'll have a uh, have something to accuse him of in court to get him dead. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I'd always interpret it. But, and for the record, that's the wrong interpretation. <laughs> yeah, that's the wrong interpretation. Because, and really what, you know, what he pointed and what we all was pointing to was verse 7. You know, right. Verse 7 shows why my misunderstanding was wrong. Because it says of the increase of his government. Uh, you talking about that baby's government. In his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to mm-hmm. establish it and to uphold it and kind of like on his shoulders mm-hmm. with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the lord of hosts will do this so he's it's talking about right here the zeal of the lord of hosts will do this so he's going to be the one ruling uh, that's going to be on his shoulders like he's going to be leading it so just in case you're misinterpreting that like how i once did you know it's just an encouragement not to misinterpret it yeah, but I think that's a the reason why it's easy to misinterpret it that way is because everything you just said is is true. The government 
was after him. I right. mean, like the you know the governing powers were not on his side. Oh, you um, make a strong case. It was the governing powers that killed him. Yeah, yeah, I mean, right. So, so you know, and when you think about being on his shoulders, him carrying the cross on his shoulders, yeah. you know, I, I used to think the same thing. Yeah. I, I, um, uh, you know, years ago, I, I, I thought when I read this passage, um, I always thought of it that way. That it's it's in reference to the cross, to him carrying the cross, or um, you know, the cross beam that the government, you know, that 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 symbol of government, the symbol of government execution, would be literally on his shoulders. That he would carry that that. You know, and and there's truth to that, mm-hmm. but I just don't think that that's what this means when yeah, Isaiah is no, talking I, about. You know, I don't think you should draw those conclusions from this verse, right? Right. Because right. I think really this is, and of course, I think we all would agree. This is talking more like that eschatological, that kingdom that's about to, you know, that's coming when he will rule on the earth. Yeah. So yeah. let's talk about that too, because um, I, you know, there's there's there's, I think that there's different ideas among Christians. Just lay people in general. Like, is Jesus king now? Will he be king later? Is he both king now and later? Has he always been king? You know, that sort of thing, right? Is Has this prophecy been fulfilled? The government being on his shoulders. has Is that prophecy fulfilled or not? Yes or no? The whole room looked at me, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, you've been kind of quiet. Yeah. Uh, no, so it's, it's hard to... To not just say both. I mean, it, it, he's definitely king now. Uh, like Hebrews 1 says that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, right? Mm-hmm. Which, which shows not that he's literally sitting at the right hand of the Father, right. but it shows that he's he's there, he's Position reigning. Position of authority. Uh, yeah, position of authority. Uh, Hebrews 1, which you quoted Hebrews 1, you quoted uh, Philippians 2, mm-hmm. uh, of course John 1 you quoted, which I'm going to go through all these again. But that Jesus uh, actually, I didn't. I didn't bring up John one, so that one's yours. Okay. Sweet. <laughs> uh, oh, John one fourteen is our memory verse. Okay. Yeah, yeah. John okay, one fourteen cool. is our memory verse. Um, so, uh, but yeah, Hebrews one says that he's holding up the universe by the word of his power. Yes. So it's like, yeah. Obviously, he's king now, yes. and obviously, with the eschaton, with the with the rain later, he's king later. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like. It's this whole idea, and we talked about it earlier with prophecy. It's like this already, but not, not yet. yet. Yeah. It's like the the full kingdom hasn't come to fruition, and you're like, well, how is he already king if they killed him? Mm-hmm. And that was the exact question that all of the Jews were asking. Like, mm-hmm. oh, he, he clearly wasn't Messiah. He's dead. Right. The Messiah, the King, is supposed to reign forever. It literally says that in verse seven, mm-hmm. right? That this would go from forth and forevermore. So from now and forevermore, right? Like from forward and forevermore so jesus must not have been king and unless you just understand that it's he's not he's not king of earth he's king above earth like mm-hmm. he's the king of the kings right mm-hmm. he's he's over the government not mm-hmm. not the government but over the government right right so, right and i think well where like a lot of tension comes in it's like well if jesus truly is king then why in the world is something like a pandemic broke out in the last two years? You know, why is there, you know, conflicts among the nations? It says, why do the nations rage mm-hmm. when the king is on his throne, the psalmist says. And, you know, so you, we have some uh, some verses, like I think of Second Corinthians 4, 4, where it talks about the God of this age, talking about Satan, mm-hmm. has blinded their minds to the gospel. Um, has blinded them from seeing the light. And Ephesians 2, it talks about the prince of the power of the air. Um, right. 
and how he's like the power over there. You know, he's, you know, like Satan still like, you know, and obviously you see that like the most of this world isn't godly. Mm. It's not godly. I mean, it doesn't feel like we live in a Christ-centered kingdom. Mm-hmm. If anything, it feels like this world's a, a satanic kingdom, if we're honest. So that's, I think, where a lot of the uh, uh, tension comes in with, like, what, is he is he king? Is he not right now? I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one thing, because when these people were looking for a Messiah, <clears throat> particularly the Jewish people, and in their context, they were looking for an earthly king yeah. that was going to establish his throne, and then they would rule the world from that point on, and it would it would expand across the world. Yep. And um, I always thought about what what if Jesus came, and what if what if they accepted him? Mm. What if Herod would have went and bowed down like the wise men and said, "Yeah, he, he's our king. I'm relinquishing the the throne to you." Mm-hmm. And even Pilate and the Romans like realize he is this is the one. If if everybody would have knelt down then mm-hmm. would that had kept him from going to the cross you know that's mm-hmm. a big huge it's one of the things you think about sometimes sure sure um but we know that the story looking back um probably that could have been that could have been one of the answers to the story yeah but it wasn't it didn't happen that way and right. the pilot you know we talked about the government killed him but he told pilot you know the pilot said, hey, I don't have the authority to kill you or release you. I'm like, you wouldn't have that authority except for my except father gave it to you. Yeah. So it goes back to that point of Jeremiah that Jesus is Lord over all, King over all. And that eventually, that great passage that you point to all the time, every knee is going to bow. Yeah. And every tongue will confess. Yeah. And the thing is, he's given us the opportunity to do that now. If I bow and confess now, humble myself. I enter into a relationship with him and I'll have this kingdom forever. Yeah. But if I choose to reject it, then I'm totally separated from God and his kingdom forever. Yeah. And what's great about that is if if you accept him as king now, you're going to accept him as king one way or the other. Yes. The, the Bible's clear about that. Um, but if you accept him as king now, then you get to share in the victory. He's, he's made it possible for you to share in all of his victories including and in, in, in his authority so you make him king of your life and suddenly like i said before two things become a reality one is that you are no longer the one that determines you have to acknowledge that you're no longer the one that determines what's right and wrong you that authority isn't with you you're not the one who can determine whether you were justified in in doing something if it hurt somebody else or you know whether whether that person there whether that person who looks different than you or acts different than you matters or not that's not up to you you don't get to make those decisions because you're not that authority that authority rests only with Jesus not with our lawmakers or anybody else and the second is that is a more freeing thought which is that the burden of ruling isn't on you you don't have to worry about it you can relinquish that burden of ruling your life and just surrender to him and let him be king. And then all of a sudden things fall into place. And he's got authority already. He said it, you know, I quoted Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and earth belongs to him. We know that. He said that. And he's conquered the greatest enemy we have, which is death. You know, so he is king over all, even king in those areas that we are completely powerless. Um so, you know, that, that should be a, 
Um, it should be sobering for those who want to be in control of their lives, but it should be a freeing thing to think of this. Um, I, I think to, to think of him as king. If if you know if you're if you're burdened with 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 uh, the thought of of trying to have everything in control. Do you, does that make sense? And going back to what you said about Matthew 28, where that authority is given, um, mm-hmm. at the end of Matthew 28, it says, for I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, which even brings about that idea of Emmanuel, God with us. With, mm-hmm. um, and obviously, like, physical Jesus isn't, like, here with us. You know, he's promising the Holy Spirit. Sure. So I think it's uh, important that we realize, like, you know, that Holy Spirit, like, he's still with us. Like, the Holy Spirit has his part in Emmanuel because he is with us and literally dwells in us. Right, so. right. So anyway, I, I think it's a good introduction to what we want to accomplish over the next, uh, with this sermon series over the next, uh, you know, four weeks, uh, it's a five-week series. Um, now as we, we move from this intro we're going to look at each one of these titles that uh, that the prophet uh, says that he will be called by, and we'll look at each of them in turn, looking at what it would have meant for them at that moment. What does it mean for him to be? Why, you know, for instance, why would it have been comforting for the people during Isaiah's time to think of having a wonderful counselor, or to think of having mighty God, or think of having everlasting Father or Prince of Peace? then what does it mean when he actually comes? And more importantly, really, for what we're trying to accomplish, what does it mean for him to be those things in our life right now? Like What, what does it mean when to, for me to say, Jesus is my wonderful counselor? And if I is he that in my life right now? Is he my wonderful counselor? Is he mighty God in my life? Is he everlasting father in my life? And is he prince of peace in my life? And I, I think that's... That's what we're after. And I think if we, if at the end of all this, we can say yes to those questions, I think that, you know, it would be hard, you'd be hard pressed to say yes to those, understanding what it means, and then still be somehow or another in this apathetic state. Does that make sense? I mean, like, hopefully as we explore this together, um, it it will bring, it'll bring about um, joy and a new sense of wonder and a new sense of purpose, Jeff, like what you said, getting back to the mission of, you know, not just what we do, but why we do what we do. Not just the what of Christmas, but why why do we celebrate Christmas? And then why why should we go and spread the same Christmas spirit during this time of year? What, what should be our motivation? So that's, that's sort of what we're after uh, in the coming days. And so next week I'll be looking um, at Wonderful Counselor, and we'll look and see what that means. Um, and uh, I think it has implications that maybe we've never thought about before. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I won't say much more than that. Um, so anyway, any final thoughts on, on this one, guys? I'm just curious. What passage are you doing? Or, or have you figured? I, I don't know exactly yeah. yet. Yeah. I haven't I haven't got the... the Isaiah. Yeah, Isaiah 9-6. <laughs> and, and, I never and, would have guessed. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, I'm going to go to Isaiah 9-6. <laughs> I'll, I'll, look at, I'll look at the situation... Yeah. That we find in Isaiah, uh, Isaiah chapter seven through twelve, which is sort of the context for this prophecy. Um, I talked a little bit about it uh, in in in, uh, in mentioning it the other day. What's going on with King Ahaz at the time? Why why is this prophecy important? Um, so that we have a better idea, understanding of what a wonderful counselor would be in that in that in that regard. 
Because um, I think the context of the prophecy for them at that time gives us a better understanding of that prophecy when it is fulfilled in the coming of the, with, the, with the incarnation. And so I think that's probably what I'm going to do. Um, and then I'll find supplemental text across because you could talk about him being our advocate, you know, like, like we find in First John, for instance, the yeah. paraclete, right? Um, comforter. Yeah, comforter. All of those, I think, are, are, are fit in, this, in the context of wonderful counselor. Yeah. And uh, not just a counselor, but a wonderful counselor. What does that even mean? So, mm-hmm. so we'll look at all that um, next week. All right. That'll do it for today. Man, it's good to see Jeff. Good to be here with Jeff and uh, oh, hear yeah. his voice on our, uh, on, on our podcast. Be praying for Jeff as he's going to be having surgery Thursday uh, and getting this quadricep uh, operated on so he can get back on his feet uh, uh, and back with us in the pulpit as soon as possible. But uh, until then, maybe we can just keep coming over here and do Monday Main Point. This is fun. I enjoy this. Hopefully you enjoyed it as well. And uh, we will look forward to uh, you joining us on the next one. But for now, so long.